Welcome, and you're listening to the You Are Not Alone podcast series, created to provide support to the special educational needs community in Brent and beyond. This is a Jason Roberts Foundation production. particular focus on education this week and really pleased to say that as well as some of the usual crew we've got some special guests uh, teachers I mean one in particular is teacher and mother um, people who are invested in the SEN um, education vehicle or machine or however we want to refer to it so welcome everybody Good to see you all. Hi. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And of course, Keisha out there in Grenada. Hi, Keisha. <laughs> okay. Now, in the previous podcast, we, you know, we, we've exchanged, we've started to talk about the environment and the changes in particular that COVID's brought about. We've had a look at the parents' angle, the, the, the children. And how you guys have had to adjust to what's going on. COVID's happened. We've had to make adjustments. So now, for you as educationalists, how are you preparing for whatever's going to happen next? Margaret? We're writing lots of risk assessments, lots of... Um covering every possibility of when we may be able to build on our numbers. As you know, we've remained open, so we have a limited number of pupils. So we're gradually going to increase our numbers, but we need to ensure that everything's in place and everything's planned for, every possibility is planned for before we do that. So that's what we've been doing all of this week, is basically preparing for, to increase our numbers. <clears throat> okay, Ade? Um, from a teacher point of view, because we don't, we're not involved in the final decision as to whether it's going to open or not open, or there's going to be less children or the same amount. So on the teacher side, we're just continuing with, you know, Google Classroom, virtual classrooms, basically, and sending out activities for the parents and things like that, not knowing when they will be able to come back to school. Because if you take the children that I teach, for instance, they've got profound multiple learning difficulties. So they're meant to be shielding at least till the 30th of June. So they're not planning to come back on the 1st. I can say that definitely. So we are continuing to just work on virtual classrooms, annual reviews are done over the phone, and doing what we can until we hear what the final decision is. So at the same time, we're preparing ourselves, you know, thinking, okay, they might send us in on the 1st of June, but I know it won't be with my class. They might send me into another class. So I have to prepare for that and then at the same time still prepare for the virtual part of it. Does it feel slightly disorientating? For me, it, it does, but I understand. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is, you know, uncharted waters. No one knows how to do it. So we have to take each day as it comes. So I, I feel a bit unsure, but at the same time, I don't feel like someone is to blame. You know, because the mm -hmm. right decisions have to be made. So I have to just try to adapt to whatever is happening at the time. Okay. Janet? Um, we have actually opened the school to um, 
tiny amount of children, three in fact, um, we opened on Monday um, with a handful of um, helpers. And that was supposed to be a trial for two weeks, um, but we've got next week to go through as well. So I'm not sure how that's going to pass. Like um, has been said, we have been doing risk assessments and things for when we do go back. Like Ade said, I don't know. None of us really know what's going to happen. We don't know what the outcome of the two weeks is yet. Maggie. Well, um, we obviously, as a special needs school, we remained open throughout the whole time, but only to a handful of students. So our population is around 240, 242, I think. Uh, but the students attending the, the largest group we had were kids of the key workers, and that was seven. Uh, bearing in mind that still requires quite a large number of staff on site because you can imagine you need to have the teacher, you need to have the welfare officer, you need to have the side team member and so on. Um, we obviously did have a conference with my head and deputy head and other faculty leaders discussing what it might be like from the 1st of uh, June. But whatever the government says, I think the, the direction our head is going towards is that obviously the 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 key in all of this is this, the safety of the children and their families and also staff on top of that. So we briefly kind of discussed there to remain the social distancing, we would probably only be, um, only be able to accommodate about one third of the uh, pupils population to remain the two meters and, and all, of, all of the social distancing rules. So this is what obviously we have discussed uh, so far. And um, again, um, it's a very difficult uh, um, topic because there is so many things that go into it, i.e. the staff members that might still be suffering with COVID, the, the, the lack of support on site, and, and all of that will obviously dictate how many students we can really provide any um, on-site education to. Just to add that obviously someone mentioned that you, you, you deliver lessons like on Google Classroom and, and, and other online tools. We, we are not really doing anything like that. One's because most of the students would not be able to access it. And the second reason is all the safeguarding and, and you know, all the kind of restrictions we've got around uh, communicating with students on one-to-one -one basis, or um, that's, that's probably what's causing issues to, to, to all of the schools really. So we are providing parents with um, and students with weekly support in terms of activities that they can and, and projects that they can uh, access from home. Uh, it's not strictly relating to, 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 I mean, it is curriculum related, but not strictly relating to any particular subjects. And we are not demanding for that work to be completed. It's, it's all on voluntary basis. And that's where we are at the moment. Okay. Um, Kate? I'll just make a quick... Correction. Oh, yes, of course you can. When I talk about Google Classes, we're not talking about live Google Classes. We are definitely not doing that. Okay. No. Um, what we're doing is putting activities on Google Classroom that the parents can access for the children. Okay. Um, so they can, we can sh we've shown them how to make things. Um, we've put songs on there that the parents can access with the child. Okay. I think that's something we mentioned in previous podcasts that I... Um, it's had quite a positive impact, wouldn't you say, on um, from parents' point of view? Yeah. Yes, definitely, because I've actually got parents that are commenting back. Yeah, they, the they like seeing the activities that I put on there. 
and even some that I didn't think would comment actually commented on it. So which made me feel quite good that they are doing things to the children. And I've asked them to send pictures in to me as well to show them doing the activities which they have done. So I think it makes parents feel connected still to school rather than nothing at all. And that's the point we're gonna to come to very shortly. Um Kate. Um I think we're just all the time we're trying to look at our offer and what we're doing and how we can improve it, how we can adapt it. So we've done we've surveyed with the parents and said sort of what are you enjoying out of our offer? What's working really well? Um because we've also doing the home link letters every week to provide lots of different activities that the parents can dip in and out of. But and um, we've also had some videos online and it's been lovely to hear uh, the parents saying that one of the teachers in our school did a puppet show and the parents were saying that the, the child really loved watching this puppet show and were asking um, to watch it again and again and so then we've been giving feedback to the teachers and saying you know these videos have been really successful the parents have been loving them so can we have more of that and now we're looking at parents actually and um, teachers actually making phone calls home as well to discuss more about the personalized home learning for all the families because one of the challenges is with home learning is knowing what the home situation is like and what the parents can access, the resources that they've got at home, and also what their day looks like. So knowing how much home learning is really appropriate or really possible in their home environment, which obviously depends on having other siblings and, and how much support they've got at home. So it's, it's very much about, as someone else was saying earlier, it's very much about adapting to the situation day by day, week by week, um, and we've also got occupational therapists and speech and language therapists and behavior specialists. So we're also encouraging them to phone home um, and support parents with any challenges that they're having, um, which changes on a week by week basis, really. So I just wanted to, to agree with Kate and, and, and add that that's exactly uh, one of the reasons why we have uh, more members of staff on site and uh, on site every day as as a team um, is making phone calls exactly for the same reason, to support parents, to find out whether there are any underlying issues that we might not be aware, checking on the children. And on, on a few occasions, we, we have done uh, home visits when we haven't heard from a parent for about, for about a week, obviously still keeping two meters distance, just so everyone is sure mm -hmm. that we're not breaking any rules. Um, and that's very important because I think that um, in, in our special needs school, Sometimes it's not just the education that, the, that obviously that's very important, the academic yeah. side as well, but it's more the emotional side, the support that those kids suddenly they, they feel completely disconnected. And, and in many cases, their school is actually their life. Uh, they might love being at home as well, but that's, mm -hmm. that's a huge part of their life. And suddenly that has been completely cut off and they do not always have the capacity to understand why. Hello, Pat. Yeah, I'm actually from a mainstream school. Um, it's an infant school and uh, we've been doing similar things to you. We also have a well-being advisor that's attached to the school and we actually, uh, she that we can do better. And she also has her contact details. So lots of parents uh, that have been struggling have been contacting her. We also have art therapists and they've still been delivering their art therapy through, mm -hmm. um, on, through Zoom, really, uh, to the children that they deliver to. So we've tried to keep that going as much as we can. Uh, we also do like, um, we do the online learning and we also have bought workbooks and we post them out to the, to, the, to the children. So some of them prefer to do the book, the workbooks, 
and some of them prefer to do the activities online. But I make a point of ringing parents like every, every week, a year group, I pick a year group, and I ring the parents and I just say, how's it going? Some of them will say, oh, we're struggling. Uh, we're trying to do, we're working from home. We haven't got time to do this. Uh, we prefer doing uh, workbooks. We can't get online. We've only got one laptop and I'm using it. They're using it for work and the children don't get a chance to get on or what, whatever. Um, so we try and keep it. And I've got um, a, a school phone that they can ring me anytime. So we've given out the number so parents uh, can ring at any time they want. And I, every day I get quite a few phone calls. You know, just some of them are just, some, like yesterday, I just got um, a phone call from a parent. She was just scared about the, the coming back to school bit. And then she was afraid it was going to be staggered in September. Mm. What would happen? She's got three children and she has to go back to work and all that. She just basically wants reassurance. So that's the kind of thing that we do, uh, we do in our school, really. Kathy Ann. Well, I think similar. Um, I'm from a, also from a mainstream school, um, quite a large school. Doesn't have a nursery, but it goes up to year six. We also have um, an alternatively resourced provision with um, which has 18 autistic children. Um, but across the school, we have other children with EHCPs, which amount to about 35 in total. Uh, we also have about 17 children who are previously looked after, um, but they're adopted from care. So we're dealing with a lot of children who have experienced trauma um, and attachment needs. So during this time, I think similar to what everyone has already said, we have been using a lot of those um, different strategies. We, we also do um, engage in some online group um, sessions with children. So the teachers and another member of staff will have small circle time groups with groups of children. And we found that that has been very successful. So over a three-week period, they would have checked in with a group of children at least once. Um, that's been going very well. And we encourage some of our children who this is very unfamiliar to them to engage in that. So we've had some other smaller group sessions with some of our children from our provision, which is called Kaleidoscope. And that has gone quite well in terms of doing a show and tell approach um, or getting them to share something they've been doing at home or just popping up while the story is being told to wave or peek in. And that's worked quite well in terms of supporting some of our families, supporting our children and just feeling that connection to us. Um, um, we also lead assemblies a couple of times a week over Zoom and um, children and parents check in. And we found that has been quite a nice way to keep a connection. Mm. And we've had some emails and responses from parents about how successful that is going for them. Um, I think in regards to how we move into our next phase, one of the things we have found is that after the Easter break, even though we have been open continuously for our vulnerable and key worker children, so we've out, we started, we averaged on about, about between eight and 10 in the first few weeks. That has now gone up to, I think we had a maximum of 24 either vulnerable or key worker children coming in over the last few weeks. And we're finding that um, during our check-ins, because we do phone calls to families, uh, we use our CPOMs just to support in terms of different teams, um, receiving details and having check-ins with the families each week. And we found that now they're starting to wobble, they're starting to struggle, and we've had to encourage some um, parents to at least send their children in, even if it's for an hour or a couple of hours. And we've had to look at the staffing around that because obviously some staff are self-isolating or distancing as well 
Um, and I think we're now starting to look at a possible plan moving forward. What's good is we had a governor's meeting and they have backed us in terms of whether we want to wait until September to think about anything or whether we want to start a very small phasing in of some children. But we are quite clear about looking at the children who can come in now already, our vulnerable and our key worker, and trying to look at getting some type of system or phasing in right for them if more of them come into school before we start to introduce other year groups to that. So that's kind of where we are at the moment and we're just starting to iron out some different drafts of ideas, the idea of bubbles or, you know, groups of children and adults staying within their part of the school, but all the time trying to wait and see what further advice comes out so that the, the priority is the safety of staff, the safety of children beyond anything else. Okay, well, thanks very, very much. Emma? Hi, we've been, um, I've been assist, assisting Janet. We're making resources to send home for the pupils. We've also been doing things like videos of the topics we're learning about this term so that the kids can see what we're doing and we can make it more visual for the children. We don't really know what's happening and the children don't understand and they like to see our faces. I believe Julie's joined us now. What we were looking at, is going forward how are you preparing for whatever happens next i think just in terms of planning um speaking to staff about um sort of their concerns and then planning forward um especially for our people um i think families um are being spoken to and then taking their needs and their concerns and then moving forward from that so i think there's a, a huge concern about children coming back to school at the moment um, and especially for the special educational needs children, um, those with EHCPs, a lot of them are not coping at home. So just supporting families at the moment with that, um, with home learning, as well as coming back to us as a, um, as a school. Okay, thank you. Jonathan? Yeah, I mean, i just touch upon some of the points from the teachers from the village as well. It's, um, I think communication is key here, regularly um, keeping in touch with their parents. Um, one of the things that the village have been particularly good at driving forward um, over the last few years is, is the videos and assessments, and that's been quite crucial in how our parents can access our, our students' learning on a weekly basis. So in terms of um, providing videos and resources, which we've been doing, we know that that works, so that's something that's been successful. And then I think that because it's an uncertain quantity, I... I believe that like the virtual schooling will be something that's going to continue for the foreseeable future and beyond. So looking at can we get um, more resources available, such as updated laptops to, to our parents and staff, and just making sure that our, our pupils, um, we're safeguarding our pupils and have duty of care to, to the employers as well. I think that's quite important for when we do return in a phase situation david i know you're there we have a parent here on listening to that array of activity obviously what aspects of that do you relate to well one thing jumped out there mike was um there was um kate uh, there was a bit of some commentary in relation to resources and one of the things i found uh, initially when the lockdown started you know you were sort of thrown into this thing where you had to become the teacher and 
you know, you, you the reality is most people when this started didn't really know. I mean, I, I speak for myself, didn't really know fully what was going on in the school settings and di didn't necessarily know what resources, what was being used with, with the children um, because obviously we're not teachers. And, you know, as as the weeks went by and as I communicated with, with uh, some of our, my son's teachers, um, what became apparent, they were using a particular resource, which most of you will be aware of, was Numicon. And uh, the teacher pointed out to me that my son, you know, with, with Numicon, he, he could do certain things. So I actually went and, and bought and started using it at home with him. And it's just transformed his interest and his ability to sort of, his receptiveness to numbers and maths. Now, I suppose the point I'm trying to make is this, only for the fact that that came through uh, the channel as a result of dialogue between myself and, and the school, I, I would have been, you know, having a go uh, with numbers uh, through whatever means, um, you know, I, I could, or whatever type of uh, uh, resource I had at home, and, you know, not necessarily, more, you know, getting the, the highest level of motivation out of my son. And only through that dialogue uh, and understanding what the children liked in school and what worked for them, and that, you know, it, it you know, it, it sort of, it transformed, uh, uh, you know, what's happening at home. And the point I'm, I suppose I'm making is what appears to be an obvious thing at school isn't always an obvious thing to the parents. And Very parents good point. Won't, yeah, parents won't know what tools are current and on the market. But I know that that tool clearly has really been designed very well and works very well with my son. And that's just one example. Well, I think, I think that's a very, very keen observation there. One of the things that has come across in all the podcasts is that there was already strong bonds in the SEN um, field with parents, but COVID has, has made yeah. that strong. There's a hell of a lot more transparency. And as you said, you're, you're now learning things that you, you, you didn't know. In observation, the role that the school has played in, in that child's life is pivotal and it's been stripped away. And I think everybody is now realising that. It came across from other parents. They said, whoa, hold on a minute. We used to drop our child off. They would be so looking forward to going to school and we'd pick them up. And now what David said was, but we had no eye concept of really what was happening during the day. And now they're having to learn that. Yes, Maggie, you're going to say right. Yeah, just wanted to add um, to, to, to what you said and what David said. And I also have a question to David. Uh, one of the reasons why I mentioned earlier on that we didn't put complicated tasks, and I'm sure other schools did the same, the reason why we put in kind of projects and cross-curricular easier activities on the website, not easy in terms of ability, but easier for parents to understand, is just because we wanted to take that pressure off parents, realizing exactly what David has mentioned, that how we teach and how we would approach the task is not necessarily what the parents would know. 
And yeah. I question to David is as well, because that sparked me with an idea that during this difficult time, maybe, perhaps, and I wonder if, David, you would find it helpful if there was some kind of basic training maybe organized for the parents, like how to use Numicon, because you, you kind of need to know how to use it, and then it becomes really effective and very helpful. So what do you think? Do you think that some basic training that we could offer to support, support parents would, would, would be welcome by parents? I, I think that that, that training it could start with a session uh, maybe of awareness of, you know, the types of resources available uh, or the types of resources that we use in the school. Mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, in answer to your question there, Aggie, because I, I, I do have communication channels with, with the school and um, I fed back to them what I was doing and then the teacher fed back in detail to me you know, the direction she wanted uh, our son to go in. So in, in a sense, that, that in itself almost acted as a bit of a training session, if you see what I mean. But mm-hmm. I, I do take your point, you know, like, you know, Aggie, uh, the videos are great because not only, you know, the puppet show and the stories and so on, but equally the parents will get from the videos, you know, and mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if with these special needs children, they're, they're all different and they're at different stages and their needs are different. So, you know, I guess any training may have to be specific to a particular child or it may have to be specific, specific to a group of children. But I, it's, it's, a, it's a valid point, you know, what you're saying. It's a valid point. Okay, uh, Margaret. Yeah, I was just thinking that, um, yes, we could provide training, but I would prefer that our parents didn't purchase that newcomer is quite expensive. So if we could give alternatives that would be um, and possibly deliver training on um, concepts and how to teach children different concepts rather than how to use a particular resource, that would be brilliant. Okay. In terms of this arena that that we're now in one of the things that has come up has been the mental health the exposure on both sides the the dealing with the frustrations the the parents adjustment to the position they find themselves in as educationists you've obviously found yourself in a position where certainly in the early days you were you were also you sound like counsellors You've had to deal with people's disorientation and still navigate a way that made sense to them. Yes, please, Eddie. Speaking to parents, I think that is so important in terms of mental health. It definitely contributes to helping the parents' mental health because they're at home, especially for parents of children that are shielding as well. So they're at home and getting teachers calling them it helps because they can talk about it. Talking about it for someone who understands and knows their child, yeah. you know, it's quite therapeutic for parents to get that. And they can discuss any um, issues they might be having with um, homeschooling or just with, you know, trying to get help for them or their child, um, just to talk it out. Sometimes you just need to talk and you need to vent. And I've had a lot of parents that just wanted to vent, you know, they didn't want any help. They just wanted to talk about it, you know, and just talk. And I wanted to talk about it too. So yeah, <laughs> it was 
You know, so you just call the parents, see how they are, see how the child is. And it's just like a little therapy session, you know, for them. Because some, a lot of parents, they've got a child with special needs, but anyone in their immediate family or even extended family don't understand what it's like. They can't talk about certain things with those people. So the teacher that knows the child definitely helps, you know, in having a conversation with them to build, you know, to help build their confidence or, you know, just make them feel a little bit better when they come off the phone. I think that's so important to mental health. Okay. Um, Janet, what have you been saying to uh, parents? Um, same as Ade, we're required once a week or twice a week, however many times one really, but we have to check up with the kids in our care and make sure that they're all well, their parents are well. Um, and a lot of them have been asking me to ring whenever I wish. I've been speaking to the children, um, marking their work, talking to them about what we've been putting on Google Classroom, which um, we said before isn't just um, worksheets. It's, it, it's lots of things. It's Jonathan's sport. It's our music departments, videos, um, guitarists playing. It's yoga. It's all cross-curricular connected to all the subjects that we're, we're doing We've been putting videos for fine motor skills, gross motor skills. I think there's every single subject we're covering in some, you know, shape or form. Um, and yeah, we're in contact with the parents all the time, so that we're on hand for them whenever they want to talk. And have you seen how some of that stress manifests itself? Well, that's that's I'm throwing that out to all of you, by the way. Yeah, we've already had um, a pupil um, escape from his home, but um, we've managed to get that particular pupil um, therapy. So he's having a video therapy once a week now. So it is good to talk to them and discuss their problems with them, and we can nearly always offer some sort of help. So, yes. Um, Kathy Ann? It's definitely what we've had um, some cases of self harm, um, harming parents, and parents reaching out because, um, as Janet was saying, you know, those because of that connection, those conversations, those phone calls that you're making, it, it's as if they just feel they, they reach out and they've been reaching out, talking through their problems, wanting to talk through strategies, what kind of support, and we've been able to have our counsellor support them. Also, the educational psychology service is not running their usual service. They're running a crisis service that's open to all schools. So we don't have to be worried about if we've got any credit left or anything. We've been able to put some support, whether bereavement support or support for families, um, through in that way as well. And it's meant that we've managed to do things as quickly as we would if we were in school to support those families, whether it's through crisis funding or anything else and that has I think that's been really good as well as families realizing that we're about making sure that their well-being their mental health is what is a priority right now and if there's something on the online learning they can't do there is no expectation that we want them to do that and I think the sheer relief <laughs> from some of those families when you say that and they're like oh my goodness thank you because it's very tricky for some of them Okay, Pat. I've had uh, one family who were made homeless uh, during this. Uh, they were evicted and um, uh, 
I had to help organize um, a housing officer for them. I made a referral to friend family front door. They were eventually uh, put up in a hotel in Wembley, a very nice hotel. Um, they had to apply for benefits because obviously mum worked previously, but um, she was a, a frontline worker. She was a carer, but because of the, one of the children had special needs, she couldn't um, go to work anymore. So we had to organize benefits. Um, so at the moment now, she's in the hotel. She got her benefit last week. Uh, we were supplying them with uh, vouchers. Uh, they're now... Um, and also uh, vouchers for the food bank. Uh, they are now um, getting benefits, so they're entitled to the free school meals. But she's waiting now to be rehoused. And the problem there is she has to actually uh, find the accommodation herself. And she's scared to go out. Her daughter, One of her children is asthmatic. The other one has got special needs. She's afraid to leave the hotel to go out and look at, at properties. So every day I'm in contact with her. I'm ringing her, seeing if she's okay. Um, making sure that they have enough to eat. Again, they can't cook in the hotel. Oh, wow. They won't get microwave. So oh, the yeah, food okay. that they can get is only micro microwavable. You, they have to pay five pounds a day to use Wi-Fi. So she's oh, only wow. got a phone. Uh, it's just horrendous, horrendous. Um, so I'm just hoping. Um, she got a phone call from Brent Housing um, this week to say that um, they might have a property for her. So she's just waiting for a call to see if she can go and see it. But that's just one incident. Julie. Well, um, we've um, also been supporting families who don't speak very good English. So um, actually accessing home learning and on the website and using ICT has been quite tricky for one or two of my families that I've been working with. Yeah. Um, one in particular, who um, the family's actually shielding and they don't have a television, they don't have any internet access. He's actually got no toys in the, in the house for him to play with or use. So the school's actually reached out to this family and has been doing sort of weekly drop-offs of food, um, as well as we're now setting up like a toy library where we're actually giving resources to the family uh, for him to use. Um, that we're not expecting that to be returned, but also we're replenishing toys, so things that we can actually clean or, or disinfect when it comes back. Um, the family itself, actually, when we do call them, they're actually so delighted to hear from us um, or see us at the door when we're dropping off things. And I think that connection and for the child has been um, really reassuring that we're still there um, because he thought that we'd all disappeared from his life when lockdown happened. And for him, the, the, the background story is quite uh, difficult for him, um, but he looked forward to school every single day. I mean, for him, coming into school was just, it was, it was candy to him. So. Um, I think for him to have that touch with us at home, um, at school and at home has been really, really reassuring for him. Um, so that's definitely one of the sort of uh, good things that we've tried to reach out to this family. Um, we've also had other families where, I, um, like Kathy Ann said, that they can't access the learning. And we've just said just to establish like good routines. And it's OK that if you don't manage all the learning in that day, it's not going to be the end of the world. At the moment, it's keeping you safe and um, ensuring that your emotional well-being is well looked after. So we also have um, people calling that actually speak the same language as the families. And again, they've had a chance to speak um, in their language about concerns that they may have. And also mm -hmm. just some of the government advice, which they just don't understand, that we're able yeah. to just explain. They're not the only ones. Yeah, just to explain things like it's okay to go in the garden, for example. So we had one family that wouldn't let their child who was um, autistic out in the garden 
because she was fearful he would catch COVID. So just reassuring families and explaining things like that have been sort of the contact has been really useful. And I think families mm -hmm. have really, really appreciated it. Oh, thank you. That's that's really good. Yeah. Kate, over to you. Um, I think it's a lot of what everyone's been saying. It, it makes so much sense. And I think it's it's really about having an individualized approach, isn't it? I mean, we talk a lot about that at school, about seeing every single child as an individual and tailoring our education package to that particular child. And I think now we've just got to extend that further and have an individualized approach for the whole family. And so you need to find out all the information about what's going on at home so that you do know whether giving more ideas for resources is the right thing to do or whether saying to the parent, actually take, you know, take the pressure off yourself and just try and do these things or maybe suggesting some resources that the school can provide. So I think it is really about any of the professionals that are in touch with the families, really seeing each family as a unique case and tailoring the offer to that family, really. Okay. And I think, yeah. I, 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 if I can add anything, I, I yeah. agree 100%, but I think we, in, in, in a sense, we, in special schools, we are kind of lucky because the number of the students that we have is significantly smaller um, than you would expect in a mainstream school where you could have 1,600 students. So we are in this very lucky position at the same time when having 240 students, we actually know every single one of them and uh, are therefore able to offer very bespoke um, support to, to all those families. Uh, and I think it's amazing to actually hear from all of you that have spoken that um, all the schools are doing the same. So that's really reassuring and, and, and lovely to hear. Yeah, and that's the reason for this forum, creating it, mm -hmm. so that we can share that, we can um, look at best practice and really uh, make a difference. Jonathan. Yeah, there's been some great points mentioned. I think from parents as well, um, it's about taking it day to day and um, trying to find out patterns of behaviour of what worked well for their students and maybe recording that down. And, and if things didn't go so well for that day, not to worry too much and look at it on a day to day perspective. Um, from my role personally, um, I'm sort of um, liaising with teachers such Janet and Ade and, and finding out what, what from their parents is working well and then I can tailor what um, videos that I'm sending through. Um, Janet mentioned to me um, this week that one of her um, children was particularly keen on some of the videos that an exercise videos that I put through so next week I'm going to be doing some more of those so it's really about trying to identify what's working well for our students and continuing to support them where possible. Emma. I haven't been directly talking to the parents because Janet does a lot of that for us. But we've also got, if we have any problems with the parents or the families, we can get our family worker to phone them up or our safeguarding lead to visit them. And if we have problems translating things or people don't understand things, we use our email system throughout school to get people to go and translate to the parents so that they can understand what we want children to do. Okay. Now... Keisha, I've, kept, I let, I've deliberately uh -huh. uh, kept you out of the loop for a while because Keisha's over in Grenada and she's going to have a slightly different perspective on things. But there's a lot being said in that opening uh, session. How do you think, how do you translate that into what's happening in Grenada? Well, hi, everyone. Hi. Again. Hi. So I, I, 
I I glad you brought up the point on mental, you know, mental stability and the mental capacity of the person in dealing with um COVID-19 because when you think about a parent at home dealing with a special needs child, you think about the load of work coming in for that child. You think about the parent having to take care of others at home. Some of them working as well at the same time online. And then there are other siblings at home who they have to see after. That is a lot, you know. And, you know, just the, the dialogue, you know, I think David spoke about the dialogue. That is so important because if the parents don't have that dialogue with the teacher, if they're, if they're having problem um, executing the work to the child, working along with the child, that in itself can be like just a disaster there at home, you know, for the parent. And if the parent is not strong enough at home, then everything falls at home. So nothing is really going to get done at home and you have a frustrated parent there at home. So I think moving forward, you know, it's a good insight as to, you know, having those dialogue and working along with the parents and finding out, you know, how best they can move forward in working along with them, along with that child. Because, I mean, I would have spoke to some parents and it's a lot. It, it's a lot, um, Michael. You know, just getting up one morning and preparing for that child and then sitting to do the work with them. It's a lot. It's a lot. Well, it's something they're not used to doing. They're not. And they're having to rework their whole schedule to, to, mm-hmm. to what is, uh, we're all finding, a new norm. Now, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like a lot of you switch off. So where is your cognitive relief? Where, what are you doing? I mean, if, if, if I could start, um, yeah. I would like to mention that um, we do try to not only support the parents and the students, but also uh, the staff members, because um, as you said, obviously they will be affected by everything that's going on in, 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 in their lives as well. So uh, at Meadow, what we keep doing is that um, we keep contacting uh, members of our team. So in particular, in my department, I would have uh, contacted people who I would normally work very closely with. Um, and um, different people would try to keep in touch um, with, uh, with their colleagues. Uh, we do also organize things like today we had a quiz in our department, like an, like Zoom kind of. Um, an online quiz, uh, which was totally irrelated to any work activities, as you can guess. <laughs> uh, and it was just for fun, purely. So, so that is uh, very important. However, when it comes to us teachers, I think it, if you are a teacher, you, you kind of, you don't switch off um, anyway. I, I don't think you do. So that's something that is um, difficult to do. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think we all have to have time when we have to switch off, which is very difficult as well when SEN schools have remained open over Easter and will probably remain open over half term now. So um, it, it, I think it's very important to have like a staff rotation so some, some staff do have proper holidays and can switch off completely during this difficult time. I want to go round to everybody. Please, Julie. Um, I think, you know, I did a whatsapp call with uh, my team today um it wasn't really work related it was just touching base and having a little bit of a laugh 
Um, and I just encourage them to also do things that actually relaxes them, to take their mind off the whole uh, news uh, scene as well. So things like walking and gardening and painting has been on the agenda. Um, and I think just to sort of encourage some time that it's okay not to be glued to the screen. Um, I've also contacted my um, uh, cluster group of Senkos today, just to touch base with them and just say, how are you guys? How are you coping? We're all in the same boat. And um, just today, we just had a, a little bit of laugh um, via email today. So that's been quite nice. Are you taking it on board yourself then? Yes, actually, I've, been, <laughs> I've just come back from a walk. So um, I'm, I'm doing quite a bit of walking and I've started gardening, believe it or not. And I'm growing things <laughs> that I've never, me. ever, ever grown before. I'm not a gardener, but I've learned the skill. Um, right. And jigsaw puzzles is another one. So um, my daughter and I and my husband, we sit down in the evenings um, and just have time to do things like play games and have right. a laugh. So that's been Great. really nice. And that's really relaxing as well. Great. Kathy Ann? I think, you know, listening to everyone else, yes, there's a lot of things in place. I think at the start of this, we were very clear, the head and I, about the type of compassion towards the staff and the understanding towards the staff, despite trying to put out learning and everything else, but their well-being was very important. Really? So we have quite a few teams now, um, as Julie and, was it, and sorry, I can't remember your name, um, has mentioned who spoke first about... Um, just that checking in with them, making sure they feel listened to, that they can raise anything. Um, very clear about if you can't come in, don't come in. If you feel uncomfortable about coming in, we'll sort it, let us know. And just giving them that voice. I think for myself, um, I've had to learn um, through, um, I have a coach and I've had to learn the importance of being kind to myself and taking time for me and setting boundaries for myself. And I think a lot of that kind of went out the window at the start of this. Because suddenly, I think it was just like one day was rolling into the next, um, into the weekends. I wasn't sure when to switch off. There was no holidays or anything like that. Um, so as much as the head and I were trying to give everyone else a holiday, um, it, I had to reflect back on myself. And I think now I'm back to, you know, setting boundaries, being very clear about, with the team about when I'm switching off, when I'm on. Um, also, in terms of my meditation, my journaling, my walking my just taking time to refocus and rebalance myself has become even more important during this time before I start juggling my own work, my son's work <laughs> and everything else that's going on. So, Fantastic. Yeah. Kate? Um, yeah, I think for the, for the teachers and for the staff at school, what we've been trying to do is encourage everyone to keep in touch with each other, um, whether it be via Zoom, just having meetings so that people don't feel so isolated because I think that's one of the most challenging things about this situation as well as managing your workload. And as, as other people have said, just giving yourself some boundaries and say, right, you know what, it's six o'clock, I've got to put my iPad away and I've got to stop answering calls and emails, which is really, really difficult because I think as practitioners, we want to be doing more and more and more to support parents. And so it does mean you do have to take stock and think, no, I need to have a break. And obviously, because I'm pregnant for myself personally, um, it's been quite an interesting balance for the first time in my life. I've had got this little person I need to think about as well. So I've been trying to be good and do some hypnobirthing relaxations at the end of the day um, and things like that to try and remind myself that, you know, there's other things as well that I need to focus on. But it is, it is difficult to get that balance, I think, for everyone. OK, uh, Margaret. I'm trying to think. I don't think I ever clock off, to be fair. Shall I show you what keeps me sane? <laughs> Okay, it's your dog. 
this is what keeps me sane. Okay, love that. Just about. Jonathan. Yeah, similar to some of the other speakers, um, the school's got in place a health and wellbeing service, and I believe that they're going to have a bereavement service in place. And in terms of my, um, my department, yeah, communication's been key to speaking and checking in on teachers on a weekly basis. Um, from my own personal perspective, um, first few weeks were quite tough, but um, just trying to get some structure into my routine. Um, obviously, it's, it's hard to switch off as a teacher. But having my um, my physical education hat on, it's really important to you know get your exercise in when you can. Um, I've had a baby um, over the last six months. That hasn't been easy, but I've managed to uh, adapt and now take some exercise, and it's been really good for my mental health and the endorphins. So, if you can take anything away from that, is just try and uh, reflect and take some time out, and hopefully do some exercise. Okay, okay. Um, Patricia? We try and do a lot for the staff. Um, again, we have um, well-being. We, we catch up every week. We have a Zoom session every week in addition to um, our staff meeting, which we have on a Monday, so everyone has a chance to say hello to each other. Uh, we also have a WhatsApp group, and we send each other silly jokes and comments and things, and that kind of keeps people going. Um, as regards myself, um, it's taken me a while to get myself into a routine. Um, I have a dog too, like Margaret. We meet each other in the park sometimes. Uh, I do try and take a walk every day, um, just get out and just switch off for a little bit. But yeah. Thank you. Janet? Um, yeah, pretty much the same as everybody else. Um, my mindset is that from Monday to Friday, we are actually really supposed to be working, but I do stop in the day to do different things. Um, and weekends, I tend not to do any school stuff as such. Um, I've got my son staying with me at the moment, so he's re-educating me on how to look after myself, how to cook, how to eat properly. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been okay. Okay, we've got Emma. Oh, like a lot of people, um, kind of days, to, you lose track of days and times and stuff, but I try and switch off at the end of the day, and I try and... I, like the others, I've got a dog, and I walk my dog a lot and go for a run quite a lot just to clear my head and just to check in with other people and check everyone's okay and st you know, say, you know, stop now, carry on tomorrow, start again, okay. stuff like that. And David, what do you do for um, your, own, your own relief as a parent? Well, I, I'll just make a couple of points beforehand, Mike. Um, I think a key point here is... Um, Certainly in the case of, of, of our son, you know, and I'm sure it's, it's going to be similar with other kids with special needs. You know, he, he, he really misses school. And I've said this in previous podcasts. And, okay, the school is, is working, you know, to try and um, help with that. But inevitably, you know, he, he misses being in the school building, in the school playground, with the school teachers, you know, he does ask for them regularly. And I think a key point is that, you know, as time goes on and as the lockdown goes on, and, okay, there may be a partial uh, recommencement or remobilization of the schools, or there may not be. I, I, I mean, that's to be, to be told. But, you know, the anxiety levels in the children, if I just focus on the children initially or the child, or I, 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 I'll speak for my son. The anxiety levels, obviously, you know, 
will creep up a bit, I because while you try and comfort them, and you know, he, he does say that he wants to see, he refers to, to the school as Margina's school because his teacher is Margina, and he does ask for it regularly. And you know, you, you have to try and keep him on board and tell him that you know it will come soon, but I think inevitably, if it still isn't coming and he's still not getting into school, the anxiety levels will gradually creep up. So those anxiety levels, obviously, you know, you've got to try and manage them, and you've got to try and work around them and work with them. So that also has a bearing on, on the family and on the workload in the day and what has to be done in the day and whether you can switch off or whether you, you can or can't switch off. I think there's a realisation with parents that this is probably going to go on a while. I'm talking about parents of children with special needs. And the other thing is that with children with special needs, again, I speak for my son. I'm not speaking for all, uh, all, all kids with special needs because obviously everyone is different, but... The summer holidays in a normal year can be hard because they miss school. They miss the structure of school. Okay, you go on holiday, you know, you do different things, but they want to get back to school in September. The problem this year is that we, we've already eaten into that. We've been locked down now for seven or eight weeks, I forget. You know, so that has already eaten into the, the sort of the anxiety level. And okay, we, schools may reopen in some form for a short period and then for the summer they'll close down again. I think all that gets thrown into the mix. Now, in answer to your question, uh, Mike, we, we do, uh, I bring both my kids now, I've got three kids, but I bring my son and my, and my younger daughter for a walk every day in the woods and they like that. You know, it, it, and indeed it helps me. And it helps my wife because it gives it gives a break, a bit of respite. And we go for a good walk. We go for at least an hour if we can. We go for a bit more. So, but I think, you know, there's a realization among the parents, certainly the parents I know with kids with special needs, that this is going to go on, that the summer is coming, that we can't really go on holiday anymore. Not like normal. Go, you know, going abroad is, is seems to be, an, it's, it's off the cards. And, you know, even going to some places in the UK now will be difficult. I just wanted to say that. I think, you know, it's that needs to be thrown into the mix. Again, it has a bearing as we move forward. You know, it has a bearing on, on the children's ability to learn, you know, their motivation and so on. So I, I, there's a lot there, Mike, but I just wanted to get that in there because there was a lot of good things said. And I just wanted to pick up on a couple of points. No. That's no, it. No problem. Otis. Um, again, I've left you out, but obviously you're a parent as well as CEO of the JRF. Um, you've heard a lot. Do you want to come back on some of the things you've heard, Oak? Yeah, it's just been um, really interesting listening to you know, sometimes you know, the, the teachers and the educationists you know, um, sometimes don't have enough time for themselves to, to really get that, that respite and have that that moment where they can relax and, and refocus. Uh, as a parent, I mean, I've, the first couple of weeks, I've just tried to, to, to get fit and go for walks myself. But, um, you know, it's just it's really, really difficult. Um, my, young, my young man, uh, my young boy, who's 14, um, 
you know, he's, he's had different emotions about school. Um, missed it at first, and now, you know, just the thought of talking about going back at the moment, he doesn't want to go back. He's used to being at home now. So um, you know, we're starting to go for walks. Uh, we've set in time, you know, some time aside. Uh, you know, every every other day we go for an hour's walk and talk about school and life. And, you know, he seems to read up and watch TV about what's happening in the world. But, you know, just that, that time to just really enjoy the park. I think a lot of people are enjoying the parks where they live now. Um, so, yeah, it's just, just really trying to enjoy some downtime. <laughs> Um, with the young man and just, you know, while it's reflective for everybody at this time. So, yeah, I, I just think it's important that we, we do as parents and teachers and educationists and, you know, that, that, as well as the children as well. They, they need that as well. Sometimes it's good to go for a long walk with, with them if they're able to and um, just to get that bonding back and just kind of clear the air and, and have some, um, some downtime. So, yeah, I think it's really important. Okay. Fantastic. Now, Adai, um, I'm deliberately left you to last because you occupy two positions, mm-hmm. an educationist and you're a parent. Mm-hmm. So, so relief must sound like a distant word to you. Well, actually, to be fair, my son, um, so I have a child with profound multiple learning difficulties, so he's 17 years old, um, and he just went to residential school last year. Okay. So... I, you know, I don't want to say I dodged a bullet in terms of COVID, <laughs> but, you know, in terms of having him home and then being, you know, having to do all the care myself, I don't have to do that. But on the flip side, we can't go and see him. So we have to FaceTime. So he's in isolation as well. But I've got a two-year-old as well who runs around the house who wants to be entertained all the time. So I have to entertain her and try and get her to do some learning. Um, whichever way I can. So in terms of trying to relax, I think what I do do is get up early in the morning. I get about half five, six o'clock, have a honey and lemon cup and just relax before everything begins. So that's the way that I find to relax. And I've been making some new recipes. I made a fantastic samosa, a terrible cheesecake. But yeah. But, um, things like that and then i have a whatsapp group for my staff so for my tas and then you know we we'll send jokes to each other and keep up to date what's going on um and video calls as well showing our pets and our children um and things like that but i my favorite part is getting up early where the world is quiet and just and breathe love you love that love that and now because i said i wanted to go round i've been round everybody and i think keisha kicked it off by mentioning the issue what do you do keisha okay so i was forced to do most of my stuff on schedule i can't do it without since i have a full house and i'm also trying to reach out to parents and teachers but i also encourage persons you know especially at this time where everybody is home you know, try and work with a schedule so then you put time out there for yourself, you know, even if it's half an hour in the day, even if it's to take a rest, kick back, try and do a schedule and put that time out so everybody knows, okay, this is your time. So I, I try to encourage that. But for me, I, I take it here and there if it's a nap or probably go to bed early or just relax. But everybody has their time to do whatever they need to do. And 
I make sure I'm for the sideline as well. Yeah. Can I just say, you know, yeah, I, my son is in residential school, but I speak to, I still speak to parents who have severely disabled children at home, you know, and they find it really hard to switch off because their children have such high needs and health needs as well. So they have to be constantly on alert, you know, as to if anything could go wrong because every day is different. Their routine just becomes about when, you know, the children's, uh, when you need to do a feed or when you need to do medication. Those are the things that are set in stone. Everything else happens ad hoc, depending on what's happening with the child that day. And they find it much harder to switch off because if they start to try and relax when the child has gone to bed, they still can't relax because some children are on feeding, you know, feeding machines. They're on breathing tubes. Some are on CPAP machines as well. So it's hard for the parents to relax. Before COVID, they could have carers at night who help with that so that at night they could go to sleep. But now that the carers are not in the home because parents are worried about spreading COVID-19 to their child. So, you know, they're constantly 24 hours a day. Most of the parents that I've spoken to on duty. And I, I don't know what we can do to help. But okay. definitely, like we said earlier, talking to them is definitely one of the big things. I think it's very important for you guys who, who deliver the kind of support and services that, um, that you do, that you are good to yourself because that's the only way that everybody receives the maximum benefit of what you do. And certainly one of the things that you you can do really you need to be resetting yourself every 30 minutes however i recognize that for some people they don't necessarily say well how do you do that you can start off by resetting yourself every two hours and what you do initially to start with just set a, a little alarm on your clock on your watch or wherever it is and when you get that when it goes off that's a signal for you to just get up just take a walk down the corridor wherever you are breathe deeply and i think i'm really glad when i heard the person said breathe right just take deep breaths for one or two minutes you will just the the oxygen the stillness of everything just enjoy the stillness and you can be still when there's lots of noise around you. If you can start to do that every two hours and then do it every hour, you'll find the jump to half hour won't, and you'll find that you're resetting yourself. You will bring much more attention and intention to whatever you're doing. And you will also feel charged. And it's something that we can do. It's always great to say we. But at some point, you've got to look at you and go, it's not just about what the group's doing. What am I doing for me? Make that investment. I think Kathy Ann has obviously got that nailed by having a coach. Not everybody can have one of those, and that's great. Because what we're talking about is creating a habit that allows you to continue doing what you're good at. It doesn't get in the way. It actually makes you more efficient at it, and, and you feel energised. When we're going out, what do we always like to tell people? You are not alone. Thank you, folks. All right, see you Thank all next you. week. Bye. 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 Bye.
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to ask a question or be a guest on one of our future podcasts, please feel free to contact us at yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org. That's yana at jasonrobertsfoundation.org.